0: Hello. Hello, everybody. This is great. Everyone's in here. Everyone's ready to go. Sounds happy. Mark's happy. Mark is happy. Yeah. All right. Let's all stand and worship our great God, all right?
1: Mercy, wisdom, speak and say you cry out to me that you want to understand me that you want an understanding of what it is that I am doing but I tell you the definition of understanding is to know to get to know to know well the Lord says fear of me is the beginning of understanding To know my son, you will know me. Get into the word and study. For I am the word. Thus says the Spirit of the Lord.
2: oh in awe Presences. All I need it's all I want, all I seek without it. Without it there's no meaning. Clean my house first, says the Lord. Judgment and correction begins in my house with my children before it extends to the world. Wash yourselves and cleanse yourselves from all unrighteousness. My children must have clean hands to reach this lost and dying world. For the enemy will expose the darkness you have hidden, which will render your testimony ineffective for those who search for my truth. Be open and honest with me, my children. Repent and allow me to clean the murky shadows out of your life that you may go forth cleansed, experiencing my full power and grace. So clean my house first, my children. Clean my house.
1: And you need to live. You need to live in Christ in a place of healing. You need to live from a place of healing. You need to live in a place of freedom You need to live for freedom, for the captives have been set free and your chains are gone. You cannot live any longer as if those chains are still there, for they are gone. They have been released and dropped off of you. They are no longer binding you in any way. So renew your thinking in my word, that you may be free and that you may walk in your healing. Don't phone me.
0: morning. If this is your first time here this morning, or whether you call Grace Christian Fellowship home, I want you to know that you are very welcome here this morning. It's very good to see you. Kids, if you are K3 through 6th grade, now's the time for Sunday school. Give your moms and dads a kiss and head off to Sunday school. Also, in the seat pockets in front of you, you will find the welcome cards. Go ahead and fill one of those out. We'll let you get started on that. A um, couple of uh, uh, actually, I guess just really just just one announcement this morning. Um, next Sunday, next Sunday. When is it? Next, next Sunday at nine a.m. Uh, it is the day of prayer for the peace of Jerusalem, and uh, next Sunday nine a.m. Here, um, uh, we are hosting uh, Women to Glow uh, for this event. And uh, would really love it if everyone could make it. It's a, it's a great opportunity to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's certainly something that, that we should be participating in as a body. Uh, so please remember, next Sunday, 9 a.m., please be here. Um, we are about to, uh, we're about to receive uh, our, our tithes. And, um, you know, this is something that we do on a, on a weekly basis. And it's something that we do um, as individuals. We tithe because God tells us to. And it's great that we do things because it's the right thing to do, right? That's never, it's never a wrong motivation. But we do this because we love the Lord, right? Whenever we do something, ideally, whenever we do something that is, is what God wants us to do, we don't do it out of obligation. We do it out of love. And so you may ask yourself, Pastor Mike, do you tithe? Yep. I absolutely do have for a very, very long time. And the older I get, the longer it becomes. And um, uh, we're actually very meticulous as the Fantry family uh, in how we tithe, as far as making sure that we, we don't jip we don't God. My, my wife is a very accurate record keeper. Um, and she loves, she, boy, she loves to dot her I's and cross her T's. She loves to fill out forms. She loves to do stuff. And so she just keeps track of everything that comes through that door. And she makes sure we tithe. It doesn't matter if we get a gift card in the mail. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. And she just writes it down, and we never, never, never are we... Are we <laughs> we're always above 10% because, because we don't want to jip God off. So do you need to be as obsessive and compulsive about it as the fantries? No. No, I don't even think you could be. If you, if you think you are, we'll have a contest. We'll see who wins. But we don't do this out of obligation. We don't do this because we have issues. We do this because we love God. And we, don't, we want to make sure that we honor God in everything that we do, and we in no way come even close to ripping him off. And so that's why we do what we do. So I'll pray. We'll receive the offering. Father God, I, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for these walls, this building, Lord, that we have a place to gather in your name. And Lord, please receive this honor, uh, Receive this, uh, the tithes and the offerings, Lord. In the, in the spirit that is meant, Lord, we do this because we love you, not because we have to, but because you are a great God, and we, and we appreciate you, and we appreciate who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the ushers will come forward, we'll receive the offering, we'll pick up the welcome cards. Every August, uh, at least in recent memory, the, uh, the, we have a, a family campout, and uh, a lot of us attend, some of you don't, we wanted to give you the opportunity to, uh, to see what you're missing. That was awesome. I, okay, the, the the Superman onesie was emotionally scarring. It was still a really good time, but I, I have to, I, you know, we have some we have some very hardy individuals in this in this congregation, and uh, I have to say, um, Kevin Fosside is is a man amongst men because he took he took so much abuse about that tent, and um, I don't, you really didn't get a good it. It was so much smaller than it looked in the picture. And he, had, you know, he bought it online, and he didn't look really closely at the measurements. And he set it up, and if he would have laid all the way out, he would have been hanging out from his knees down. <laughs> and he's a man, because he slept in that that night. And he, you know, he sucked. I bought this tent. I'm going to use that tent. And it was the rainfly, the rainfly that, that covered it. Was like this big. It was. I've I've had bigger napkins at restaurants. I mean, it was. It was just. It was. And he took some serious serious abuse, and he sucked it up, and he manned up, and he just did it. So, uh, yeah, man amongst men, right there. And of course, I I I after seeing those pictures, will be starting my weight loss program tomorrow. Cause you know I. Holy cat! Anyway, that was um, that was an unpleasant revelation I just had. So, last week, last week we um, we talked about some ta- some stuff. This is part two uh, of a two parter. So last week we talked about sin and its effect on believers. Uh, we talked about how the the translation of sin means to to miss the mark or to trespass, but that missing the mark was serious enough to separate us from a relationship with our, with our Heavenly Father. Um, we talked about that it was his love, God's love, that created the gift of grace through the sacrifice of his son. And, and we accept that love that he has for us in salvation, and we learn to love him back. We do that by keeping his commands, right, by not sinning by doing the things that he wants us to do, by not missing the mark or not trespassing, being places where we shouldn't be. We don't earn his love by not sinning. We don't earn our salvation by doing right. We receive love and then return it by giving uh, by living his life for us. Let me say that again. So we receive that love, then we return it to him by living his life for us. And we talked about the consequences of sin to a believer. Um, we talked about the world affecting the believer and how that's not appropriate, that we need to be affecting the world, not the other way around. We are salt, uh, and we should be taking that flavoring into the world. We should affect, not be affected. We talked about the obligation you and I have to take, the, take God to the world, and we should do that by permeating the world, right? By <clears throat> excuse me, by by our jobs, through what we do, through our associations and causes that we, we hook our wagons to, things that we believe in and that we do. But we can only do that so far as it does not draw you away from living correctly, that it doesn't uh, take you away from living his life for you. That it doesn't take you out of, of doing what is right or what he's called you to do, taking you or taking you out of the community of believers, right? Because we need that as believers. We need each other. And um, if, if what you're doing is, is having you, you know, is, is changing you and making you do, say, or act out in a way that is contrary to what he wants, you can't do it. You can't. It's just too important. We can't, we can't take the, the, the grace and the love that God has given us and trample on it, Right? He sacrificed his son for our relationship with him so that we could live with him, not only in eternity, but for now. And how important is that? And really, how how much do do we show that importance if we just kind of trample it underfoot by doing whatever it is that we please? And we also learn that eventually, a believer who turns from God, who continues to sin, eventually is unable to return. In Hebrews 6, verse 1, it says, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. And who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. That's a very important thing. And it's something that you and I need to understand and we need to realize because it not only affects our walk with God, but we also have an obligation to one another as a family, as a community, to, to, to look out for each other's walks, to make sure that we're we're doing right and, and people are, are moving forward. At the end of that message, I said, well, what what does sin mean to the unbeliever? What is our response to sin outside of the church? Let's pray. Father God, again, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the the opportunity to be up here to speak, Lord God. Father, as always, I I thank you for being here. Please guide my words, and uh, let us hear what you need us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So when a pre-believer, someone who does not yet believe in Christ, sins, what is your reaction? Probably depends, right? If that sin is against you, your reaction might be different than just sinning, right? And certainly, we have responsibilities to take care of ourselves, to take care of our families, to, to, to take care of things. So if, if something bad is happening to you, you address it, you take care of it. But often within the church, It's not necessarily the the sin that is, is, what is the word I'm looking for, against you, right? We We don't necessarily see someone who doesn't believe in Christ. Very often when we see sin or something that's going on contrary to the word of God, it's not directed at you. It's just sin, right? It's something that is contrary to the will of God. And what is your reaction to that? When an unbeliever sins, what is your reaction? Regardless of the sin, what is your reaction? And again, as believers, we stand up for what's right, right? Murder's wrong and, and breaking the is wrong. And so we do that part. We do our part in standing up for our society. But oftentimes within the church, people who don't believe in God and, and who are outside the church will do something and we get upset. And we're surprised. We're surprised at how people live their lives. We're surprised at the choices that they make. We're surprised at the society that we're a part of, and we get angry about it, and we condemn the sin, right? We get angry about it. We protest. We say things about the behavior. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, it says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning God will judge those on the outside. But as Scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. God's judgment starts with us, right? It's more important for us to stay away from a sinning believer, according to Scripture. God will judge the outside world. And we know that to be true, right? Right? God will judge outside the church. We have enough to worry about inside the church. And again, I'm not saying you don't stand up for what's right. I'm not saying you don't protect those that are weaker than you. You don't stand up for justice. Those are right things to do. But why does it surprise you when people who don't know God live a life contrary to God? And why do you get angry at the behavior? In Ephesians 2 verse 1, But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Pre-believers sin because they can't help it. It's not natural to do the things of God. You have to come to Christ first in order to live God's life. They are not subject to God's rules. Let me rephrase that. They are subject to God's rules, like everyone is, hence the righteous judgment of God. However, they are slaves to sin. They belong to the world, not to God. So they do what they do. Before Christ, you and I couldn't live a life that is pleasing to God. Why do we expect those that are outside of Christ to live a life that is pleasing to God? Why do we expect anything different from any anyone else that you and I, that we, couldn't accomplish? People outside of Christ are living their lives the only way they can, in an ungodly way. There was a guy, and I... I feel bad I should know his name, and I don't. And the reason why I feel bad is because this guy will never have a name again. He will always be known as the guy who. A couple years ago, and everyone will probably remember this, there was this guy, and this guy, the guy, loved bears, right? And he lived with bears. He went out and lived with the bears. He filmed the bears. He started naming the bears. He took his girlfriend out there with him, And he was filming the bears and he was watching the behaviors. But he anthropomorphized the bears. And he got a little too close. And the bears that he loved oh so much got mad one day and, oddly enough, acted as bears do and killed them. Do you know why they did that? They're bears! They're bears! They're big! they're huge. They were grizzly bears. I mean, we're not talking, I mean, don't get me wrong. Black bears are big. Grizzly bears, they're huge. When uh, a number of years ago, I went up to Anchorage, Alaska, and they have this, uh, they have uh, a polar bear in the, uh, in the airport. No, in the airports, big stuff, big stuff polar bear. And I, I went with Pastor Jim, and uh, when we were landing, or just before we were landing, he said, make sure you look at the polar bear, look at the claws. Holy cats, the claws. The claws, the claws were bigger than any pocket knife I've ever seen, and it had 10 of them. (laughs) And I don't know if you know much about physics, but they're like 10 feet tall. So if you start up here at about 12 feet and you bring them down with force and they keep, you know, they gain energy and momentum, that's just a recipe for tearing you into multiple pieces. And that's what polar bears do. Why? They're bears. You can call them Susie. You can put them in a skirt. It's a bear. And bears are going to do what bears are going to do. So what is our response to those people that don't yet believe in Christ to their sin? To their sin? again we are a part of our society right we participate in our society we vote we we sit on on um juries we we do right we help laws we stand up for the poor we seek justice And certainly we should do that in every aspect and stand up for what God thinks is right in every aspect of our society and our lives. But when we lose (laughs) and things happen that are contrary to what we want to happen, or we meet someone and and they're doing something that is not godly, what do we do? The issue isn't the behavior. Right? Right? It's not the bear's fault that they're a bear. The issue isn't the behavior. It's, a, it's the state of the soul that matters. We didn't change our behavior to please God, right? When we became believers, we accepted the gift of grace. He came to live in our lives We have the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, and therefore we are able to live godly lives. The same thing holds true with those people that do not yet believe. The issue isn't what they do, the issue is the condition of their soul. So, if the issue isn't the behavior, how does that change our approach? Because one of the big things that the, the, the outside world has against the church is that we are judgmental. And know that you and I are to judge. We judge a tree by the fruit that it bears, right? God gave us the word of God. He gave us mine so we can, we can see what right is right what is right and wrong and do something about it. However, if God's judgment begins with us and God's judgment, we're, we're not to judge the world. That is God's job and the issue isn't behavior, how does this change our approach to the world, to the people who don't yet believe? What does that look like for us? Both in the big picture, church, and the smaller picture for you as an individual. If the problem is not the behavior, but the state of their soul, You can't attack the behavior. You can't, because that's not the problem. There are lots of good people outside the church that live very good lives that are not going to heaven, because it has nothing to do with how good you are, whether or not you achieve heaven. You go to heaven because of the relationship that you have with God, because of the grace that you've received through Christ, because he sees you as his child. That's why you go to heaven. It's not about being good. So there's lots of really good people outside the church that do really nice things and do really good things for other people, but it's not a contest on who can be better than whom. It's a state of grace, not behavior. So if the problem is not behavior, we cannot attack the behavior. It would be like going to the doctor and having strep throat, and what they do is they give you something to numb the pain as opposed to giving you an antibiotic to kill the bacteria you're treating the symptom, not the disease. You're covering up the pain, but you're not eliminating the cause of the pain. Right? Back in the early 1900s, there weren't a lot of treatments for things. You know, they, they didn't have a treatment for asthma. They didn't have treatments for all sorts of things. And so if, if, um, if, you, were, if you were in pain, they, were, they would prescribe you narcotics. They used to prescribe narcotics for asthma. 100 years ago, they would prescribe narcotics for asthma, right? Well, that didn't solve the problem of the asthma. It just covered up the pain of the asthma. And interestingly, they then, US government changed the laws that made, uh, uh, made narcotics illegal. And you had all these people that were addicted excuse me, addicted to the narcotics that they couldn't get access to anymore because the laws changed. So then they had nothing. But if you attack the behavior, you're just covering a symptom. In John 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptized in making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them as disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired from a long walk sat wearily beside the well about noon time. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Excuse me. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. "'And I am a Samaritan woman. "'Why are you asking me for a drink?' "'Jesus replied, "'If you only knew the gift God has for you "'and who you, are, who you are speaking to, "'you would ask me and I would give you living water. "'But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket,' she said. "'This well is very deep. "'Where would you get this living water? "'And besides, do you think you're greater "'than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? "'How can you offer better water "'than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed?' Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. It is the Lord, the Holy Spirit, that draws a person to him. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin, behavior that misses the mark set by God. It is you and I that have the ministry of reconciliation, and we make the introductions. Between a person and their Savior. In this particular instance, Jesus knew that the man she was with was not her husband and she had had an issue with relationships going back a bit, but that wasn't the problem. It was a problem, it was a symptom of a bigger problem. He talked about her soul. God drew her. She felt the conviction of her sin to tell him. I can't convict anybody of their sin. I, you can make people feel guilty. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know what it was. I, I, loved, I loved my mother-in-law. loved my mother-in-law she's she's gone to be with the Lord she was uh she she received the Lord before she died so I know I know we'll see her again awesome woman you know I hear all these mother-in-law jokes I can't use them Uh, my mother-in-law was outstanding Um, my wife's mother-in-law is a nut but my mother-in-law no I love my mom very much I do but my mother-in-law was awesome but she could use guilt like other people use silverware I mean, it would, just, it would just be out of nowhere. You'd be eating a meal and just, boom, and it would just show up, right? And you would feel bad, and, you know, you'd apologize or whatever. And she was doing it to get you to do something else, right? To get her to do something that you wanted to do. The problem with that in real life and everyday life with people that we meet, I can make you feel bad, but that's not conviction, right? Conviction is when you feel something so much that you want to change it. Conviction is is you see something, good, bad, whatever, you see it in its true light, and you want to make a difference. You want to change what it is that you've done. You want to live a different way. I can't convict you of anything. I can make you feel bad. The Holy Spirit brings conviction that leads to repentance. I bring guilt that makes you feel bad. Which would you rather have? Conviction. And that's what happened here. Jesus was there, started talking about her soul. She confessed her sin. The first words out of his mouth weren't, what is up with you and men? That wasn't it. So when that takes place, when someone is convicted, when someone sees, when someone wants God's life, the conviction happens then you and I make the introductions because we have the ministry of reconciliation. In Luke 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to the guest, uh, he, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to, wealth to the poor, Lord, And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man comes to seek and save those who are lost. I love the line, uh, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. He was a tax collector. And back then, the way you earned money was by cheating people on their taxes. So I don't know for sure that he cheated people on their taxes. Pretty confident, though. And he was going to pay it back four times as much. Tax collectors were not appreciated. They were disliked. They were hated because they ripped off their own people, right? It's one thing to be a thief, but to be, you know... Uh, you know, if I, I know sin is sin, right? But if, if my brother steals from somebody else, that's bad. But if he steals from his own family, that's a new level of low to me. <laughs> and so here you have this, this individual, a, a citizen of Israel, who was ripping off his own people. And so his people really disliked that more because he was ripping off his own people. Not only had he, had he stealing from them, but he taken the Roman side and he was taking their stuff. He was the lowest of the low. Are you willing to be the guest of a notorious sinner? More importantly, are you willing to have the notorious sinner as your guest? This place, this building, is a place for the sick, it's for the well, for the hurting and the healthy. But if someone comes through that door that does not yet know the Lord, you have to expect their behavior is going to be different than yours. And you need to understand your response to that behavior could possibly damage what God wants to cure your response to the surface could damage the ability of that individual's chances of receiving what the Holy Spirit is drawing them to. And if someone comes through the door on Sunday, they are welcome here. They are very welcome here. I am glad to see them. We should all be glad to see them. We should all be glad to have them. That's what we're here for. We're not here just for us. Certainly we're here for us, right? You go to the doctor for a physical. You go to the doctor to get, I love getting flu shots because I hate getting the flu. So I love coming to church to make sure I stay well. But when I go to the doctor's office, there are people there who are terribly, terribly sick that I wish were wearing face masks. Same thing is true here. There are people here who are very, very well. There are people here who are very, very sick that God wants to touch. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Make them his child. Are you ready for that? Are you willing to take part in that? Right, our vision is to to reach out to the community. The community of people who do not yet believe in Christ. Christ. That will change things how look. That will change how things look here. Are you okay with that? How does this change things for you as an individual? We know how things should look differently here, but what does this mean to you? Scripture is very clear that you need to be careful where you get your advice from, right? You need to be careful who your closest friends are. But it does say that we need to associate with people outside the church. You can't spread the light of God with other believers because they already have it. You need to spread the light of God with people who don't yet have it. So are you, are you willing to be the guest of a notorious sinner? Spiritually, are you strong enough to be the guest of a notorious sinner? Are you pressing into the things of God? Are you, are you walking out what God has for you? Are you building yourself up with the, with the word of God? Are you, are you coming to church on Sundays? Are you going to home fellowships? Are you, are you doing what you can to, to build yourself up to then go out? It's not enough to, to just build yourself up. You have to do something with it. Joel, can I use you for an example? Yeah. All right. Joel's doing something that I was never, ever going to do. He runs. He runs a long way and he's training for something. And he trains so he can accomplish. He trains so he can do. He's not just training for the sake of it. Do you love training, Joel? I only know that because I sat next to him yesterday and he told me he doesn't like training. But if you're training for no purpose, what's the point of training? It's to take what you know, it's to take what you have, and give it to those people that don't yet have it. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, faith is the confidence that we hope for what will, oh, I, I need to make bigger, I... I need like a bigger font, and I'm not yet used to making bigger font, I'm not used to my age, so please bear with me. Hebrews 11 verse 1 to 7, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we know that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. The people that don't yet know God cannot please God because they have no faith. They have not received the gift of God. They have not received their Savior yet. So as you go out this week, the problem isn't the behavior. The problem is the state of the soul. What is your appropriate place with that in mind? What is our appropriate place with that in mind? What does that look like for you as an individual? What does that look like for us as believers? What does that look like for us as a church? How far are you willing to take that? There's a lot of people out there that don't know their Savior and will pay the consequences of that lack of knowledge. You and I are a beacon, right? A light, And we need to take that light and shine that light. But not in a way that gets between them and their Lord. But in a way that attracts them to their Lord. That encourages the relationship, that allows the Holy Spirit, that helps the Holy Spirit not allows, helps the Holy Spirit draw and convict. That's our job. Let's bow our heads. We've talked a lot about relationship today, our relationship with our Lord and, and living a life that's pleasing to him and the fact that we can't do it without Christ, without Jesus in our lives, without accepting that gift of grace and coming into relationship with him. And I don't want anybody who may not have that relationship, I, I don't want anybody leaving today, if they, if they want that, if they want to have that relationship, if God has been calling to you and now is the time to, to, to make a commitment, I don't want to make fun of you. I don't want to point you out. I just want to know who you are so I can meet with you after service and pray for you. Anyone? Give me a nod. Raise your hand. Father, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, it is a, it is a huge responsibility that you have placed on our, on our shoulders to go into all the world and show our world, your light. And Lord, as as much as we we thank you for that opportunity, Lord, we we know that it's not easy. And Father, we pray for strength, we pray for wisdom. And Lord, that we we see people for who they are. We, We see things for what they are. That the issue isn't what someone does, but it's the condition of their soul. And Lord, help us to feel the same sense of loss that you feel, Lord. We know that you don't want anyone lost. And Lord, help us to see, to feel the exact same thing. Lord, help us to to have open eyes and, and welcoming arms for people who don't know you, both in our lives and in this building. We thank you for your love. We thank you for coming. We thank you for loving us first so that we could love you in return and help us to do that better. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if everyone will please rise and receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and give you peace. Amen.